Grand Canyon University is Arizona's premier private Christian university committed to providing next-generation education. GCU offers over 200 academic programs, many in high-demand fields across nine colleges. We keep our rigorous curriculum relevant by partnering with industry leaders and advisory boards. Earn your degree online, in the evening, or on our vibrant Phoenix campus. Find your purpose at GCU, where advanced technologies drive education. Private, Christian, affordable, nonprofit. Visit gcu.edu. Hello and welcome to episode three of Mark Power's Waterford History podcast. Uh, so the first two episodes were uh, my documentary last year on uh, Waterford and the Spanish Civil War. But one of the things that I wanted to do with this podcast, which I mentioned uh, already, was to play some of the unedited interviews uh, that I did for the programme. I always felt that uh, people who are into history would like to hear them. But uh, there was never room on the documentaries for all of them. Some of them are longer than the documentaries themselves. So I'm going to use this platform to try and get some of those out uh, for people who'd be interested in this kind of thing. And the first uh, person I'm going to have here is Dr. Emmett O'Connor. He's a senior lecturer at the University of Ulster in Coleraine. He's from Waterford, of course, and he's the son of Peter O'Connor, one of the men who fought uh, on the Republican side from Waterford in the Spanish Civil War. Um, And he talks here about the Spanish Civil War, about Ireland and the Spanish Civil War, and about Waterford and the Spanish Civil War. And he has some really quite interesting insights about the kind of place that Waterford was in the 20s and 30s, uh, how people viewed the city and what their loyalties were, I suppose. Uh, And I found that quite enriching. Uh, I should add a few more points just about this particular podcast. First of all, uh, it does cut off at the start. Uh, Emmett's voice uh, is midway through the first sentence uh, when you hear this. Apologies for that, uh, but if you hear it, it's my problem, not yours. It's not your device, so just uh, watch out for that one. And secondly, I should also add a big thank you to Wayne Brown. The reason this podcast is in your device has got precious little to do with me. Wayne is the one who's sorting all that side of things out, so a big thanks to Wayne. So this is Dr. Emmett O'Connor talking about Waterford, Ireland and the Spanish Civil War. Hope you enjoy political instability the the monarchy had been overthrown uh, in 1931 the republic was declared and then uh, the popular front government of communist liberals and socialists was elected in february 1936 but um some people thought that it it would in turn be destabilized and that spain would would go communist but uh spain had lagged behind in its industrial development and uh, it it was a very you know socially divided society. You had huge sort of landowners, and you had a lot of landless peasants, and there was a very high rate of illiteracy by the European standards of of the time. And politically, it was a very divided society with the extremes of right and left. And um, so, when the war itself actually broke out, what what sparked that? Uh, the, the, you know, the, obviously, his government was democratically elected. So, what sparked the yeah. war? Yeah, the the army generals decided to to intervene, uh, led by Franco. So they issued um, pronunciamento uh, on the seventeenth, eighteenth of July, nineteen thirty six, and they thought that the army would just take over the country, and they'd set up some kind of um, military di- uh, dictatorship under Franco. But instead, um, sections of the the Guardia Civil, uh, the army, the navy. Uh, but the people themselves and the, the various militias uh, resisted the army takeover. So the army ended up taking over less than half the country and had to fight for the, the other half. Did, did that resistance come as a surprise to the army and I suppose as an inspiration to people say, in Waterford or elsewhere? Yeah, it, it did. I, I think that the army had expected a, an, an easier victory. But the reason why Spain became such a, a big international issue was the way it intersected with European politics. 
because after World War One, there was a great hope that we're into a new age of democracy. A lot of new states were established with you know brand new constitutions and so on, and so many of them had um, come under dictatorships, particularly fascist dictatorships. And of course, Franco was backed by Hitler and Mussolini, and people thought Spain was going to be the latest domino tumble by by fascism. So. As, as the left saw it, the, the Spanish people were the first to draw a line in the stand and st- stand up against fascism. Uh, and, and now it was a time for everyone to, to rally behind them. Because if you didn't stop fascism in Madrid, you'd have to fight it in Prague or in Paris or in London. Um, if we can just, obviously we're looking here at the, the, the volunteers who went from uh, Waterford. But uh, from the point of view, I suppose, of the church in conservative Ireland, um, their attitude was generally supportive of Franco, wasn't it? And why was that? Yeah, the the, the church was very, um, yeah, it, 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 it was very supportive of, of Franco. And he, he presented himself as a man who was saving the Catholic Church from the Reds, as, as they were called. The, the the anarchists in Spain had a strong anti-clerical tradition, you know, going back uh, a long time. And uh, th- there were attacks on monasteries and on, on the clergy, and these were given a lot of publicity in Ireland. So a lot of people believe that that, that sort of propaganda that that Franco was was saving the the church you know from the, the from the left and from the communists in particular in fact the communists had discouraged and condemned uh, anti-clerical excesses and they, they, their aim was to try and build um, the maximum possible anti-fascist unity um, and then the fact that Franco uh, therefore was 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 going against the democratically elected government was outweighed then by the the the, the love of the churches was in his country was it yeah, that I mean, the, the the church was in a bit of an awkward position in that it was supporting a revolt against a legitimate government. So they had, they had to try and explain that, and and indeed there were attempts, you know, made to to, to do so in uh, you know in sermons and public statements and so on. But uh, one of Franco's supporters uh, went to Ireland, and he met the the cardinal of the time and. Uh, Said it'd be it'd be a good idea if a battalion of uh, of Irishmen went out to 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 fight Franco, because Franco was trying to present himself as the defender of the church. But a lot of people were very cynical about this. They said, "Look, his his crack troops are all Moroccan. They're Moors. They're Muslims, and uh, you know he he's he's simply um, he's out to make himself a, a military di- dictator." So one of his supporters thought, you know, it'd be good for for the for, Frank, for Franco's propaganda if a battalion of Irishmen, who, you know, who would be seen as Catholics and so on, were to go out uh, and help him. And of course, that that led to O'Duffy's uh, Irish Brigade, the Blue Shirts, who went out to Spain. Um, on those Blue Shirts, actually, just as far as I understand, they didn't really see much action, did they? When they went out, was was it all propaganda? Well, they, they had a kind of an unfortunate uh, mil- military history. They were attached to the Spanish Foreign Legion and in their first encounter they ran into some friendly fire. They were overheard speaking English and the Spaniards thought that they were international brigaders. Uh, and then they were holding a, a section of the line for some months and they were ordered to attack. And um, O'Duffy said, uh, no, it's, it's too dangerous. Well, you didn't say that kind of thing in the Spanish Foreign Legion, you know, whose motto was long live death. So they were taken behind the lines. There were re- recriminations. One of O'Duffy's officers said, uh, maybe we're fighting on the wrong side here. And at that point, they were disarmed and they were sent home in, in disgrace. And when they went back back to Ireland, you know, they, they were treated as a bit of an embarrassment and nobody really wanted to speak about it. Um, now, the men who went over um, from uh, Waterford, uh, 
I wanted to ask you why they went there. You've, you've touched on that, I suppose, from an international perspective. But um, why particularly, what was their background in Waterford that would have made them sympathetic towards this cause? Well, right from the, from the start of the war, you, you know, you had volunteers making their way to, to Spain. And uh, then in September, the, the Communist International, or the Comintern, which is the controlling body of all Communist parties based in Moscow, uh, backed the creation of these international brigades and it's reckoned about 35,000 men from about 53 countries uh, volunteered to, to join the international brigades. Now, the two main supporters of the brigades in Ireland were the Communist Party of Ireland and the Republican Congress, which was uh, being formed in 1934. It was a kind of left-wing socialist Republican breakaway from the uh, IRA and was very close to the CP. So they, they, they were the main uh, organisations who were recruiting volunteers the Irish didn't go out altogether. The, the, probably the biggest batch went out with Frank Ryan, um, including four Waterford men, and that would have been in December 1936. And then the others went out in dribs and drabs over the, the, the up to the summer of 1938. But it, the people who went, um, they were mainly well. First of all, you, you you had to be 18, later 21, to join the International Brigades. You had to be single because they couldn't really guarantee you any kind of welfare, you know, in the event that you were killed, they couldn't support your family, or they, if you went home wounded without an arm or a leg, you know, they couldn't guarantee you any uh, pensions or anything like that. So uh, they, they would only take uh, single men uh, ov- over 21 and uh, under 40. And y- you had to do a, a medical test, so you had to be in reasonably good condition. There were a few cases of people being, being turned down for v- v- various uh, reasons. But those who joined um, the international brigades generally, the majority were communists, about 60-70% were were communists. The numbers from Ireland would, of communists from Ireland was smaller, but maybe uh, about 30%, and the rest would have been Republicans. But the the other kind of distinguishing factor of a lot of international brigaders was that they're mainly um, working class men uh, in unskilled occupations and very often mobile occupations. So a, a fair amount of the Waterford men who went out were working in the building trades and they were going back and forth between Waterford and London. You know, in many ways, London was really the economic capital of, of Waterford at, in the 20s and, and 30s. You might get a bit of work in Waterford, then the work would dry, dry up, so you, you'd, you'd take the boat train to Paddington, you'd do a bit of work in London and so on. So that um, mobility... And, you know, um, not having a sort of uh, permanent and pensionable job, I think, was also a factor in, in determining who joined up. Um, just uh, that's an interesting point about London. Like, would that have contributed to maybe a more internationalist outlook from some of those guys, do you think? Well, I, I, I think it would, yeah, because you had um, you had an active branch of the Republican Congress uh, in, in London at that time. And... Um, you know, it's reckoned that about 250 um, Irish-born men fought in the International Brigades, but possibly less than 100 of those went out directly from Ireland. So that the rest would have been exiles. Some of them would have been politicised in the countries they'd emigrated to. Others would have been politicised in Ireland and, 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 and carried their politics with them. But a relatively high proportion uh, would have been emigres. Um, would they have seen parallels between uh, this fight against um, the fascists in Spain, our, our conservative forces, suppose more broadly in Spain, and and what had happened in Ireland in the you know the civil war in the aftermath? Uh, 
Oh, absolutely. And, and I think there's a kind of misinterpretation, um, which is kind of current in, in that respect. I suppose all of these commemorations tell us more about the present than they do about the past. And we're inclined to read history backwards and impose our values on the past. But there's a tendency to see the, the volunteers that went out to the International Brigades in the 1930s from Ireland as people who, who kind of abandoned the, uh, you know, the insularity of Ireland uh, to embrace you know, a European politics, to embrace an anti-fascism, a European anti-fascism. But they didn't see it like that. Yes, they were going out to fight fascism, but as they, as they saw it, there were a lot of parallels between the situation in Ireland, the situation in Spain. There was you know, the misuse of religion by the bishops, there was, you know, the, the, the landowners uh, were, you know, on, on the side of the, the rich and, uh, and, and powerful and they were on the side of the, the landless. Um, they were familiar, of course, with allegations of, of anti-clerical uh, atrocities in Spain, 1936. But they said, look, you have this hysteria for Catholic Spain, 1936. It's like the hysteria for Catholic Belgium in 1914. Um, you know, they, they, they were lying propaganda about anti Republican atrocities during the 1798 rising and so on. So they saw all sorts of connections between Irish politics, Spanish politics, Irish history, uh, Spanish history, the nationalism of the Irish and the Basques and the Catalans and so on. So they, they weren't abandoning their politics, their Irish politics. They, they were carrying that to Spain. And the idea was that they, they would return to Ireland you know, steeled, uh, reinvigorated with the determination to continue on the fight in Ireland. Uh, who did the Waterford lads end up fighting with? Which which brigades did they did they end up serving with? Well, the idea was that the international brigades would be the the embodiment of internationalism, and they, they were divided up um, on a language basis, purely well, ostensibly for operational reasons. So there was an English speaking brigade, which is the fifteenth. International Brigade, and the the idea initially was that the Irish weren't did, there weren't enough of them to form a battalion, so they would fight in the British battalion. Now, in reality, all of the units in the International Brigades kept an eye on politics at home. There was a possibility that the British might not have enough men to form a battalion, so uh, they actually went so far as to um, to refuse to send men to the front up to the point where they could fight. They, they could form their own battalion. Later, the Canadians were in the American battalion initially, and then they, 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 they demanded their own battalion and so on. So they all had an eye on how this would play out for propaganda purposes back home. And Frank Ryan, who was, you know, the, the, the sort of unofficial leader of the Irish in Spain, he wanted the Irish to fight with the British battalion. The idea was that in this way, Irish Republicans could uh, win the support of the British working class for the anti-imperialist struggle in Ireland. But the the British the, the commissars who were all communists were very suspicious of people who are not communists. And Ryan was a Republican rather than a communist, so they didn't want Ryan forming his own unit. So I think they deliberately split the Irish. And uh, in January 1937, uh, about there were about maybe uh, 90 Irish in Spain in the International Brigades at that time. About half were at the front, and the remainder. Uh, about 45 were at the British training base at Madrigueras and a meeting was called by the commissars and they were asked if they wanted to stay with the British battalion or go over to the American battalion and by a small majority they, they voted to leave uh, and to join the American Abraham Lincoln battalion but I think that decision was provoked by the, by the commissars so they would split the Irish and prevent the possibility of the formation of an Irish unit 
which would then, of course, not be under communist control. From what I read, the Waterford guys were kind of uh, along the lines that you said Frank Ryan was of like wanting to stay with with the with the, with the British. Yeah, certainly m- 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 most of them were because they would have um, been associated with the Republican Congress and they would have been very supportive of uh, Fr- Frank Ryan's position. So the, uh, the 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 Waterford men they they fought with the Americans from the Battle of Harama in February thirty seven to the Battle of Brunetti in July of nineteen thirty seven. And by that stage, they were they were all wiped out, really, uh, with the exception of my father. And uh, Frank Ryan, then, he, he was alarmed at the kind of casualties that were mounting up. So he, he had a, a number of them sent home. And um, other Waterford men then who arrived subsequently, they fought with the British battalion. I, I, I'm just wondering, like, would, would there have been a, a sort of a, an idea that, that maybe this might have, you know, this might have been war like we had in the 20s in Ireland? And then they went to a situation which was, I guess, more like the First World War, was it? I mean, how heavy was the fighting out in Spain? Yeah, in some cases it was it was worse than the First World War because, I mean, if you take British casualties in World War One, the about thirteen percent uh, were killed, whereas about thirty percent of the uh, the Irish who joined the International Brigades were were killed, and the organisation. Because, I mean, it was done from scratch and they were largely amateurs and so on, the, the kind of military organisation was sometimes very poor. It, again, if you were in the British Army World War One, you didn't spend more than 10 days a month at the front. The rest of the time you were behind the lines ferrying ammunition or whatever. But sometimes the uh, international brigaders would be left, you know, for months on end uh, and in, in the front line and conditions could be very difficult. And you had cases, you know, when the, particularly when they're putting the battalion together, you had fellows who thought that, you know, fighting fascism would be, be a great idea, you know, at a, at a meeting in London. But when you're now out to Spain, you're in a trench and you're covered in lice and you had a, a rifle in your hands, maybe very defective, and you only had a few rounds of ammunition. You know, they had second thoughts. And they were going to the commissars and they were saying, I just heard that my mother's died. I need to go home and, you know, be the family breadwinner. Or I think I could do better work for the party at home and so on, you know, as a propagandist. And they were told, no, sorry, you know, you, you signed up. You're here for the duration because if they let people go home, the whole thing would have collapsed. So they, they had to be tough like that, uh, you know, even though it meant that inevitably there are going to be heavy casualties. The, the, the Waterford guys, I know almost all of them were, were injured out there. They, like, they saw very harsh, tough fighting. I mean, they, 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 you know, they, they put their bodies on the line for this. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, there was, I mean, 11 went out and there was, uh, one guy was killed, uh, Morris Quinlan. And um, I mean, that was uh, fortunately a, a low fatality rate, but about uh, seven, I think, of the others were wounded. So, you know, if, if, if you were there, you're very likely go- going to end up wounded, if not killed. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just going to. Yeah, like, uh, your own father then, uh, did he ever. I know we were talking about this before, did, did he ever uh, discuss his own personal experiences? Was there anything sort of. Uh, on a more sort of small scale about about what he experienced there that he ever brought home to you or was it was it something that wasn't spoken about much mm-hmm. uh, he he did um you know to 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 a limited extent but uh he didn't say much about it, i suppose up to about 1983 maybe 84 when harry owens organized uh, uh, a commemoration at that time and uh the plan was that they'd spend uh, i think a friday afternoon uh, in Buswell's Hotel in Dublin and go, you have a few songs and a few drinks and so on 
Uh, but instead, it, it it went on over the entire weekend, and they, I think about two or three hundred people turn up. So it indicated the, the the you know the kind of interest that was there. I think among uh, an, a new generation, and uh, the few surviving veterans then uh, were frequently you know invited to to give talks here and there. And and my father uh, did give a number of uh, public lectures, and eventually he he wrote the short pamphlet on his time in Spain. Um, but just on, on a kind of slightly side issue, the, the splits in the Republican side and the kind of almost the civil war within the civil war, were they much aware of that kind of thing or were they too busy trying to avoid not being killed on the front? I, no, I think that they were they were very politicised. And um, I'm not so sure about the others, but certainly my, my father would have taken the, 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 the party line and uh, he... Uh, the, the, the the big division on the republican side was between the, the the communists and the anarchists and he would have been very much on 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 the communist side and you know see the anarchists as uh, undisciplined and you know troublemakers and so on so um they they very much uh, at least he very much took took the view that you know you, you you needed to prioritize victory in the war you needed to sink your politics while the war was still on and above all uh, you needed discipline and solidarity um, and to, on that issue, then the the, the, retro- the atrocities I have down here at the Republican side, but I think maybe we should maybe look at both sides of it. I mean, the, the, first of all, on the Franco side, the atrocities were ferocious. I mean, was that something that obviously it angered people when they were in Waterford or in, in England wanted to go? But when they're there, there on the front, I mean, I mean, was that it must have been terrifying to think that these guys they weren't going to they weren't going to do the Geneva Convention if they caught you. Yeah, there. I mean, right from the start, you know, you had um, a lot of uh, propaganda on 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 both sides, and you had uh, atrocities being committed on both sides. But I think most of the propaganda that would have been circulating in Britain and in Ireland through the newsreels. I mean, the newsreels in Ireland at the time, uh, and of course, people didn't have television, so they were getting their visual news mainly, you know, in this um, in cinemas through the newsreels. They were coming almost entirely from Britain, and they were very pro-Franco. And the press in Ireland, particularly the provincial press, was also very uh, pro-Franco. So they they were highlighting the uh, atrocities on the Republican side, and uh, the attacks on the church and so on. So that that would have been the kind of predominant image in in Ireland. Paul Preston has has probably done the most exhaustive research into this in his book, The Spanish Holocaust, and uh, you know he he has done a body count. And uh, he shows that there were atrocities on both sides, but the the Francoists were were much worse than the Republicans, because as they saw it, uh, communism or anarchism, socialism, th- these were like a virus that you had to exterminate. And as they saw it, they were not just fighting the civil war, but they were building a new Spain. So they they wanted to kind of cleanse Spain completely of this virus, and then build up, you know, uh, out of the ashes of Spain that would be as great as in the days of the conquistadores and so on. And uh, uh, the the atrocities then on on the Republican side were, uh, would the Waterford guys been aware of that? Would that have been something that troubled them, or was that you know the, the, the fortunes of war and, and people accepted it? I think they would have had some uh, awareness. Uh, you know, um, I think if you if you read the accounts, you find that um, you know op- opinions vary. Um, I think most of them. Would probably have not been fully aware of 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 the the big picture, and uh, there was a tendency in Ireland, I think, to dismiss all uh, well on the Repo- the Irish Republican side, to dismiss stories of uh, atrocities 
uh, committed by Spanish Republicans as uh, black propaganda. Um, now, if I can just uh, move on to maybe uh, when guys got home, I know there was a lot, there's a lot of stories uh, that I hear about uh, about how fellows were treated in Ireland. Obviously, it was very conservative at the time. How were people like your father treated when they came home? He says that generally, I mean, you know, people just 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 accepted him and he just fitted in uh, back into to uh, Waterford society. Um, there were w- one or two exceptions, but but by and large, you know, people just um, just got on with it and just uh, didn't they didn't speak very much about it. But um, you know, they let him get on with his life. I think the main problem that the uh, the returning international brigaders had was this, the simple difficulty of getting a job because they were no um, you know they were marked men you know they, they were known as revolutionaries, and. Um, my father was he was very lucky to to get a job with the the, the Royal Liver. I remember him telling me about the reference. He, he got a reference reference on the strength of um, uh, or he, he got the job on the strength of a reference um, from uh, a Labour TD, and uh, the the manager wrote to the TD saying, "I've grave doubts about this man, but on on your say so, I'll take him on." So he that that was how he 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 got the job, and he was he was very lucky really. That, that you know that that happened. So many of the others, they just had to take the boat and and look for a job in England. Um, did he feel vindicated in later life, given how democracy reemerged in Spain and, and and there was more of a of a sense of of uh, uh, well, they were eventually made citizens. Did, he, did did that mean a lot to him? Oh, I think it did. Yeah, I I, I think he. I think he was delighted to go to go back to Spain and he, to get uh, honorary citizenship from the uh, fr- from the Spanish government. I've often wondered if that makes me eligible to be to play for the Spanish football team. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, that that really did mean a, a lot to him. And the, the kind of reception that they they got in Spain because it's still a big issue in Spain. It's in it's still a divisive issue, but the Spanish people they're very passionate about it. Uh, you know, you certainly have a lot of passionate Francoists. On the one side, but um, whenever the international brigaders went to Spain, they always got a great reception from people on 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 the other side, and that meant a great deal to him. And uh, did he did he have any regrets, or did he feel even in later life? I think I know the answer to this, but did he feel in later life that they were right to go, and that um, and that if if they had defeated Franco, their the course of history might have been different. Absolutely, yeah. He had no regrets about going. Uh, he was convinced it was very much uh, the right thing to do, and he believes that had it won, had had they won in Spain, it it might have stopped uh, Hitler and World War Two. And sorry, I could just ask you finally because there was something that, that kind of I, I want to kind of raise with you as well. The um, how the, the political activism of some of these men before they went, the, the, the there was challenging to some landlords here in Waterford and that kind of thing, uh, like. Uh, would you be aware of that? And was that kind of you know a natural link then between that and then taking up arms? I was, yeah, because my, my father was in the IRA, and uh, you know two two of his of his older brothers were in the War of Independence, uh, Francis and Jimmy, and they were very much uh, an influence on him. So uh, he he wanted to join the IRA and do what they had done, but he he you know he he reckoned there was something as he put it there was something missing from the IRA. They were too militaristic, didn't seem to have a political program at all. So um, when uh, he encountered um, the revolutionary workers groups, which later became the Communist Party, he thought, well, this, this is just what we're looking for. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is a radical political program and we want to get away from that simple militarism. 
So uh, he was quite enthusiastic about the revolutionary workers' groups and then about the Republican Congress, this left-wing breakaway from the IRA, you know, a, a movement that was trying to go political. So that very much fed into the kind of politics that ultimately took him to Spain. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.